Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast today. This is Wednesday, April 20th. I love saying that since it won't be Wednesday, April 20th when you are listening to this. But that's what Nate means when he says this is practically live. Uh, So yeah, Nate is not here, which is why I'm doing his part and not doing it very well. This is your friend Aaron over in California not being mocked by anyone in the South today. And saying hello to Mr. Mark. How you doing, Mr. Mark? In the tr- you're in the treehouse by yourself, right? I'm in the treehouse, uh, not quite by myself, but uh, I've got some spectators here today. But uh, I know that Nate is in downtown Nashville, uh, watching uh, a granddaughter performing at an open mic event. So uh, good, really? good for that. Yeah. So excited for Nate and Allie to uh, to be downtown Nashville watching that. Uh, Aaron, we've got uh, a, a pretty cool. Uh, time today here on the podcast. I know that uh, folks have been filling out our listener survey and we're getting close to the time when we'll be giving away an autographed copy of Nate's book. So if you haven't filled out the listener survey yet, please come to piratemonkpodcast.com and uh, fill out uh, that listener survey to be entered for the drawing for Nate's book. Uh, But uh, one of the things that guys keep talking about in the listener survey is how they want to hear stories of how other guys have started groups, other guys have uh, how their Samson groups are going and uh, and what it's like just to be uh, a normal guy. And we've got two normal guys uh, on the podcast today. Uh, both of them have had ministry experience, and uh, it's, it's fun to, uh, to get to know them. Uh, Paul Maxwell is the connection point here because Paul wrote an article for uh, John Piper's website, Desiring God, called Seven Things to Do After You Look at Pornography. And we've got a link to this article on our show notes at piratemonkpodcast.com. It's a great article, and in that he brought up Samson Society. We'll talk more about that uh, once we introduce the guys. And then joining Paul will be Ryan Gibson, and we'll hear more about what connects Paul and Ryan uh, here in just a little bit. You know what's, you know what's funny? I And I love these. Uh, I've wanted to do more of them in the last few years where we just have Samson guys calling in, telling their story, um, and, and we always phrase it somehow in the realm of you know regular guys normal guys <laughs> and yeah I, I don't know how many years we've been doing this podcast where you know we've talked to the non-normal guys because they wrote a book or recorded an album or something like that uh i i have yet to find a normal guy that hasn't fascinated me as That's much true. as anybody who's ever <laughs> written a book uh, it just means they probably know how to uh, fix your plumbing or wire your electricity, maybe work on your car, not create a literary masterpiece, and yet they also have a story that's as rich and and possibly less embellished than those of us who write things down. So it's it's just a exactly. it's a funny paradigm. I think of all the people that listen to this, who I think all of us fall into that celebrity uh, mentality where there are certain things, sure. whether, and the church has its own version, whether it's being a, a worship leader or on the worship team or a pastor, it's that stage piece. And I, I really kind of miss the old days. And by old days, I mean like uh, the medieval times, like 500 years ago, <laughs> when if if you were an actor, you were the most suspicious and you'd never let your uh, daughter marry one of them. Like, I think that was a better time in history uh because if an actor said you know this is the king we should vote for beyond the obvious uh, problem with voting for a king uh 
everyone would have laughed at that. Whereas now we put this special status on perhaps the wrong people. And in this interview, we're going to touch on that a little bit about how normal older men have a beautiful responsibility and gift to give to the younger ones. So I'm super excited for our listeners to get to hear this conversation today on the Pirate Monk podcast. And I think think we can take a quick break and get right into it. Right, Mark? Sounds great. We'll be right back after this. Life information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, and I quote the pints historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I'm very well acquainted too with matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. About binomial theorem, I'm teeming with a lot of news. Ooh, lot of news, lot of news. So, welcome back to the Pirate Monk podcast, and we are excited to have two Samson brothers with us today uh, here uh, joining us on the podcast via Skype. Uh, we've got Paul Maxwell and Ryan Gibson. Guys, thanks for being a part of the Pirate Monk community. Hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Great to be here. And uh, let me back up from uh, from how we got Ryan and Paul on the podcast. Uh, several weeks ago, an article went, uh, depending on how you define it, uh, and from our circles, we felt like it went viral. And it was uh, one of the articles on Desiring God's website. Uh, Desiring God is the ministry that was started by John Piper, of whom I'm a great fan. And I saw this, and in the in this middle of this great article about what to do after looking at pornography, uh, there was a comment about Samson Society and about being a part of Samson Society. We'll get to more about the article in a little while. You can come to the show notes at piratemonkpodcast.com and click on it to read the entire article. And uh, after we read the article, we started talking about it one day, and Nate said, we ought to try to get the author on the show. And so I reached out to Paul, and what I got back was even richer and more exciting than I thought it would be. And that's because uh, the other gentleman with us on the podcast today, Ryan, had invited Paul to be a part of Samson. And so today we've got both the author of this great article, Paul, and the man who invited him to Samson, Ryan, uh, on the line with us. And we know from our listener survey, guys, that you have said over and over and over again, the number one thing you want to hear from are regular uh, Samson guys, people who are, are doing the do. And so we've got uh, Ryan and Paul here today to talk a little bit about that and to hear their stories. So uh, in keeping with the uh, backing up in time, uh, Paul, let, let's start with you. Tell us about your first introduction to Samson Society. What was the first thing you ever heard about Samson Society? Yeah, the first thing I had ever heard was uh, running into Ryan. We were both first-year MDiv students, Masters of Divinity students, which is like a theology degree, at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And Ryan had these copies of the Pirate Monk book, of, of Nate's book. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, this book, there's thousands of books, you know, will I read this? I don't know. And, uh, and Ryan was getting together, uh, in our first semester, you know, all, we had uh, hundreds of guys moved to Philly every, every year just to go to Westminster. And so Ryan was getting this group together. And so I think I went to, I, I know it wasn't the first one, but one of the, one of the first meetings there, Ryan, was that, was that a pre-existing Samson group that was already there? Or did you start that? No, uh, we actually started that. It was myself and Jamie Bennett. Um, Jamie was living in Philadelphia at the time. He's the Samson brother as well. And um, yeah, we had just started that like a few weeks prior to you and I meeting. Got it. Okay, so so then um, it must have been one of those first meetings. And I went with another Westminster guy. Both of us had been invited by Ryan. and And I walked out with this other guy 
Um, and the first thing that that guy said to me was, that was weird. That felt like a <laughs> al- that felt like an Alcoholics Anonymous podcast, and the and my and my you know and or, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, a meeting and and uh, and my first thought was, yeah that was and I I was just kind of capitulating. I was just like, yeah that was kind of weird. So for you know for a year. I was like, all right, well, screw that. And, you know, I looked at porn for a year and realized, like, <laughs> okay, well, I, I, obvious, whatever I'm doing is not working. And so, um, but Ryan and I continued to grow in our friendship. And I knew that Ryan was, you know, continually involved in Samson. And now, pause here before we go. I'm, I'm going to interleave these stories together. Uh, mm. Mark, you were the one that invited him. Yes. This, that, and so. How aware were you that he showed up to a meeting and then never showed up again? Not totally aware. I mean, I I, uh, I was pretty o- I was pretty I'm, I'm pretty open about Samson and was pretty open at the time. So uh, it's something I would bring up regularly with with guys. Um, so the fact that some guys never came was just something I was kind of used to. <laughs> so it's not because uh, I just think of other people that are trying to invite their friends and maybe their friend comes once and then doesn't come again. And it's that awkward like, do we talk about that date that didn't go yeah. well or so? Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and that's something I'm, I'm pretty upfront with guys about is, is, hey, this is something I do. Um, and I'm pretty general because I don't know what guys um, stories are. And so I let them know up front, if, if this is something you're interested in, if you want to come out and, and build community with guys and share, if it's not something that you're into, don't feel any pressure to come back because, um, yeah, I, I don't want to isolate or alienate uh, guys who come in and don't feel like it's their thing. Right. And it, and it is important to note that uh, this is not necessarily the best thing for every person in the place that they're at in their life. Uh, that point. that is a common Christian problem, isn't it? I read this book and it changed my life. Darn it! Everybody read this right. book and let it change your life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, were you aware, Paul? Was was he still talking about it, or did you just kind of push it out of your mind altogether? And it really wasn't even on your like field of vision for that year. Yeah, it was. I mean, right. That I mean, that's one of the things that I think won me eventually to to Samson was the fact that Ryan wasn't pushy or preachy at all about it, and eventually I think that's what allowed me to feel comfortable coming back was the fact that over the next year Ryan and I became very good friends, and and having kind of that access point allowed me then when I started going to Samson to start building relationships with those other guys. Ryan was kind of my access point to all those things and so uh so our friendship was which wasn't necessarily based on samson or didn't have that theme running throughout uh what kind of facilitated me coming eventually but uh i ryan also you know was very open about the fact that you know samson was a part of his life and and just two christian brothers kind of sharing what our struggles were i knew that that was really really part of the structure of what was for him a pattern of uh, Christian growth, which I, I knew I just didn't have those stru- those structures, and and eventually I kind of realized that maybe some of the reason why I don't see those same patterns of growth, I don't have those same dynamics of fighting and and repenting from sin, because uh, I just had nothing going on in terms of relationships or accountability, and you know I think we've all had those experiences of accountability that just don't go well. And I can imagine that guys probably go, you know, the rest of their lives just trying and trying and trying and trying and trying again and just having just a serially failing 
accountability relationships. And of course, Samson is so much more than that. It's not just accountability. It's, it's fellowship and daily walking together and confession and, you know, those, yeah, it just like those, those, one of the things I really appreciated about Samson when I went back, which I realized is kind of what makes it feel weird initially, but it's actually one of the great virtues of Samson is that, that section in the meeting where there's no crosstalk. You know, right. guys are just talking and you're not critiquing each other. You're not saying, well, come on, man, what, what happened? Or, oh, okay, well, maybe next time. Oh, man, I love that line. And I don't want to get too, you know, too ahead of the podcast or whatever, but I love that line about not making promises. I love that mm-hmm. line. It just is such a sober line. And so, so yeah, I knew it was part of Ryan's uh, life. And, and after going to a few meetings, the value of Samson, the value of that liturgy, and then also the value of the Silas relationship became so clear to me. And, um, and yeah, that's just kind of what kicked off. Um, how long did I go to Samson then with you, Ryan? Maybe a year, year and a half or so? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was probably close to a couple of years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, probably, probably before, closer to two years. Yeah, before so. I moved off, yeah. Yep. Well, that's really really interesting something stuck out struck me that you said that really reminded me of uh, an early conversation I had when I was getting to know Nate back when he was writing the book and that was when he would articulate how much he was crying out to God for these things to change in his life for these things to go away and yet he's decades into habitual sin activity Mm. and there's not there's not a very clear place in the church where we affirm a person's desire while acknowledging their utter failure. Usually it's, mm. you know what? I look at your the fruit of your life. Look at this behavior. I don't believe you have any desire to change or you would have changed. And for a person, any right. person, I think most people who have been in the pit of habitual sin, they know that's not true. They want more than anything else to change, and yet nothing's changing without this new pattern in their life, this pattern of community. I love that you call it the uh, the liturgy because uh, it really is in a Samson meetings. It yeah, is a liturgy. Yeah. It's just not the way yeah. uh, you know. I I grew up in a Brethren church, so the word liturgy uh, uh, makes everything Lutheran all of a sudden. That's <laughs> automatically where it goes. Uh, I have I have right. grown since then, but I love that you call it that, and it is that. So, all right, go, let me hear that same yeah. story from the Ryan perspective. Go, Ryan. Yeah, so uh, how I... What was happening so, with you? Yeah, I mean, how far do you want me to go back? Are we wanting to start at the, the, the Paul interaction or, uh, or farther back than that? Well, yeah, I... You had a lot of failed accountability relationships and a lot of failed men's yeah, groups, Yeah, that's didn't you? right. Um, I mean, for, for me, I, I go all the way back to college um, and just, you know, a classic situation of of growing up and, and being a a teenager who, who struggles with this habitual sin of, of looking at porn and not knowing what to do and that um, that that dynamic um, and how that dynamic affected my relationships with men never maturing so that carries all the way through college um, you know and, it, and there would be these touch and goes where I would get to the point where I'm so uh, guilt-ridden, so um, uh, frustrated with this that I would just kind of uh, burst into into these 
um, sudden relationships with guys where I'd be like, hey, you know, I don't know what to do. And and I would guess what? It's pretty much every other guy who feels the same way, who's who's not in community. And all of a sudden I'd have this, yep. this connection with a guy and be like, all right, this is what's going on. And uh, and I've got to fix it somehow. And, um, and so I just blurt it all out and we go into this classic, um, okay, well, you know what, from, from here on out, we're going to keep each other accountable and, and we're going to get better. And uh, so what happens, you know, we, we, we make some promises or, or, you know, even if it's not like I promise not to do this, we make um, some commitments and then we just start never talking again from that point. So uh, <laughs> I, I can't we, tell you. We, we, be, we begin the inactivity of silence. Yes. Wow. I can't tell you. That's a, I like that phrase a lot. I can't tell lot. you how many guys that, yeah, you know. We were good enough friends in college, but then as soon as we uh, got to this topic, we just basically fell off the face of the earth. Um, so that carried through college, and I was a theology major, and um, you know the the logical next step in 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 the journey or what it seemed was to become a, a minister afterwards. So I went full time into youth ministry. Um, uh, after college was over and I'm, I was a kid, you know, I'm like a 21 year old guy and uh, at a fairly large church and way in over my head. And, um, <laughs> well, did it, did it surprise you? Uh, did I know, I mean, as a, as a 40 year old, no, I'm not, I'm 39 as a 39 year old. I'm constantly surprised that I can still uh, think and feel like a 13 year old. But in some ways, it can be even more confusing when you're a pastor. So everyone else expected that something should have changed, and possibly you did. Were you confused by the fact that you were moving into a holy lifestyle, and yet unholiness was uh, trailing behind like a piece of toilet paper on your shoe? Oh yeah, I mean, so I, I grew up in a uh, in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, and so I feel like I was more so. Um, overly aware that that I wasn't going to meet that standard of, of holiness of, of having it all together and I just kind of went into this post just completely frantic <laughs> um, and I, I feel like I did a, a pretty good job a really good job of, of coming off as having it all together um, but you know just similar to uh, to Nate's story in the book like I was just I was juggling and uh, and knew I couldn't keep it up for long. Did you have that same kind of experience, Paul, as you were moving in ministry directions? And I mean, you were talking about being at seminary and and finding yourself in the same old habits. Uh, what what was that like for you when you expected life would be different? Uh, well, let's see, I. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Not that 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 certainly doesn't affect your journey too much, and like whether you'll struggle with sexual sin or not. But um, I I suppose uh, I maybe I yeah maybe I went into it with a little bit more naivete than than Ryan did. And uh, I mean for me, I mean my time at Westminster, I, I ended up ultimately. I mean, I still graduated, but it ended, I, I ended up finishing at Westminster with a serious case of discipline over some, some of these issues, and the Lord was doing a lot of work uh, in me and in my heart and in my life in that time. And uh, and so it's, I just I just really I really learned on the one hand that 
the struggle never goes away. And by the struggle, I mean, you know, because we hear that all the time. Well, the struggle never goes away. But but the need for just constant, constant uh, uh, repentance and making a plan and and trying over and over and over again. You know, like Proverbs says, uh, you know, uh, uh, a wise man falls down seven times but gets back up again, but a fool stumbles in times of calamity. And I found myself constantly stumbling and yet – um, uh, you know, throughout my whole life, I think it's been so easy to give up because you just don't have those, you don't exist in a broader rhythm of repentance with other people. And I think, uh, I felt, a, I felt such a, one of the most liberating things anybody ever said to me about this struggle, not just, not just with pornography, of course, but with growing as a pure and whole person who desires to see God. One of the most liberating things anybody ever said to me is you really can't find victory in the struggle alone. And um, somebody told me that before Samson, and and it was liberating because I thought, wow, well, I'm alone and I'm failing all the time, and uh, and you know I was coming out of a uh, I was coming out of an undergrad in theology similar to Ryan, and um, and I, I really find that to be true that um, not not just community being helpful because I think I've had patterns in my life similar to Ryan where where there would be five, you know, I'd have five guy friends and we'd all be the same age and we'd all be in the same exact place and we'd all be failing all the time in the same exact way. And that almost kind of granted permission for me to do, you know, to to indulge in these temptations because I thought, well, you know, they may be doing the same exact thing right now. I don't know. And so, so I felt like when I was surrounded by a community of people who were so much like me, in their struggle and, and not growing like I was, you know, or not growing similar to my not growing that, um, that I wasn't finding a ton of help and I wasn't finding a ton of success, but being with guys who were very different, who are all struggling, who are all falling, but getting back up again together, that, that was so helpful for me. And also seeing guys far, further down the road, um, on the one hand, it wasn't a cause for despair thinking, wow, for the next 20, 40, 60 years, I'll be struggling with this knowing that I will, of course, but seeing, okay, this is just life. Life is, life is, of course, trying to do our best, trying to protect those around us, uh, trying to be good and whole people for the sake of ourselves and for the glory of God and for the safety of those around us. But at the same time, recognizing, you know, we'll be getting up again kind of for the rest of our lives. And that's kind of what spawned this, this article for, you know, seven things to do after pornography, because so often, we think about the struggle with pornography as a preventative thing, but there's so many more things to it than that. There is we we all live in cycles of guilt, and I think that's one of the reasons why accountability relationships so often just disintegrate so soon after you build them is because you build it, one guy falls, maybe a couple weeks later, a couple days later, a couple hours later, the next guy falls, you know, and now it's a sense of shame with one another. Well, our friendship is predicated on the whole idea that we're going to be pure. And now we're not. And now I have this sense of shame. And now I'm a burden to you. And now I'm letting you down. I'm letting God down. And it's just, it really makes the whole thing worse, or it can make the whole thing worse. And so what it means to be, you know, somebody who's going to essentially like Paul in Romans 7, right, who's just constantly wanting to do things and doing things that, that he doesn't want to do. For the rest of our life, you know, we're never going to be completely glorified and, you know, in this life. And so knowing that that we're going to be fighting these battles for the rest of our lives, even those who are professional Christians, I mean, that's a 
that's a, a necessary assumption going into ministry. And it's hard because so many ministries are built on the idea that this guy is not as sinful as the rest of us and he's going to guide us when really we're, we, you know, we're a sinner, pastors and people in Christian ministry are sinners in need of grace, leading people who are sinners in need of grace. And as soon as we forget that, we set ourselves up for all of these scandalous shock and awe expose stories of this pastor and this ministry leader falling or, you know, all of these different things. And on the one hand, those are real tragedies. And, and on the other hand, you know, I wonder what it would look like if we had a, we, if we had a kind of a culture of understanding that, okay, we're all sinful people and none of us, none of us ever in our lives escapes the purview of, of Romans seven in our lives, even, even those who enter into Christian ministry. And sometimes I feel like, People speak about qualifications for ministry as if Romans 7 always has to be spoken of as something in your past. You know, man, I used to do things I didn't want to do all the time, but thank God I live in a Romans 8 reality, not a Romans 7 reality or something like that. And uh, (laughs) that's just so not the case. And I think that, for me, just perpetuates these cycles of shame and not wanting to confess. And, uh, of course, we should never normalize sin because it's common but on the other right. hand we shouldn't stigmatize it because because it is but it because it is so common and 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 I think one of the great things that Samson does is it encourages people to get in the light you know there's a great distinction uh between normalization and stigmatization as being these two polars that the church can fall into mm. Ryan I want to jump into a part of your story uh so you were youth pastor struggling in Florida and then uh there's there was a lot that you had happening there, but you ended up in Knoxville where you had your first experience uh, with a group of men, not yep. necessarily your age. And I I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you first and then let you talk a little bit about it. Let me let me sure. find it. You wrote something that I was really glad you wrote down. Um, you'd already read the book, and after you shared. Here, I'll go to here. You blurted out your entire life story. I blurted out my entire life story in about seven minutes, barely taking a breath along the way. I remember I didn't leave out anything. I shared things I had never shared with anyone. When I finished talking, I looked up from the ground where I had been staring the entire time, expecting to see a lot of surprised faces. Instead, I saw a lot of guys with some mix of empathetic, compassionate, and proud expressions. I felt yeah. acceptance in that moment. I haven't looked back since. Now this yeah. this uh the look on our faces and I've I've seriously tried to recommend that people go in the bathroom and practice their looks like imagine a person confessing to the most shocking thing. Uh someone you've known forever saying I struggle with same sex uh attraction. And then look in the mirror and and make the face you're going to make for them because that person is going to look at you in your eye and what comes across your face will either be the gospel according to Jesus or the accuser's very look. And that's the fact that this stuck with you in such a cool way. Talk a little bit about this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at this point, I had, I had left uh, ministry not in public shame because my struggles never came out, but... Um, but I had I had left and and I was also engaged at the time in a failed relationship and and that relationship had ended and I had moved essentially back home with my parents and um, so with that mindset 
finally going to a Samson meeting, um, I was I was determined at that point to to share everything regardless. Uh, I didn't know what the reaction was going to be like um, with a group of men. You know, I didn't know. Um, like you, like you said, I was just this at the time. I think twenty two, so I was a twenty two year old guy, and and most of the guys in there were in their mid late thirties or older. And um, so I, I I seriously thought, you know, like I'm pretty screwed up for how old I am. I'm you know I'm a I'm a pretty young guy and haven't had a lot of time to mess things up. And um, but still I am. And um, yeah, I mean I, I blurted it all out and uh, some some stuff that I thought was just. Um, very damnable. And um, uh, after I'm all done, you know, I, I look up and and I still remember the faces. This has been um, eight years ago now, but I still remember the faces of these guys who would uh, become, you know, best friends. One of them was in my wedding only like nine months, you know, a year later. And um, uh, I just remember this, uh, well, what I mentioned. I mean, that the the feeling that I was accepted and 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 that was the first time I, I talked about these failed accountability relationships. That was the first time I'd ever shared something without a guy having a response for me or or needing to give me a response. So I finished sharing. Um, they said thanks, Ryan, and then another guy just started sharing. And someone hearing that, hearing me say that, might think like, well, man. You know, don't, didn't you want somebody to give you a hug? Didn't you want somebody to say it's going to be okay? No, I didn't because it, I knew at that time and that, that this was going to continue to be a struggle for a long time, you know, for the rest of my life. And I didn't want anyone to give me answers. I wanted somebody to do exactly what they did, and that was just listen and to understand. Um, so that's what that experience was like for me. That. Mm. Uh- that is powerful. What does it make you think? Because you said you can still picture their faces. What does it make you feel emotionally when you picture those faces? Oh, yeah. I mean, life life changing. And it makes me think that that I, I hope that I can I can do that for other guys, you know, down the road and, and hope that I have been able to. Um, I obviously fail to um, to be a uh, an understanding and and an open um, and compassionate brother and I have failed, but um, it makes me think that this is what we were made, you know, to do. This is what we were created for was to be um, in community with each other, to not isolate, to not blame, to not um, try and fix each other, but just, but just to listen and to, to do life together. It was the first time I, I had ever, uh, you know, just been in with a group of guys, who had no agenda, who were just there to listen to what I had to say. Um, and uh, that made me just, that changed everything for me. There's a piece in here, Ryan, that I think the reason that those couple sentences you wrote down uh, hit me as they did was the one word proud. And I think mm. those guys were not supposed to say anything to you at that moment, but they were still deeply ministering to you with something that older men don't realize they have. Part of the gravitas they walk through life carrying is to look at a younger man. And when you wrote that down, I pictured some of the uh, older guys I have met in Samson groups or New Adam groups that when I am 
bringing it, when I'm being clean, when I'm being honest, that look on their face is, is driving me. They're saying, oh, I know where you're going. You keep going, kid. That's amazing. I love what you're doing. And they're proud of me in a fatherly way that is the thing that God wants within his family here. He wants the dads to be looking proud at the younger men. And you saw that, and it impacted you. And I wish every older man understood the power he carried. Absolutely. And I would, I would say, you know, now that I'm finally in my 30s, that I would say to other other guys who are in their 30s, who are 40s or older, that I know we can stress about, well, what am I going to say to my kids? Because I'm a dad now. I have a son. What am I going to say when, when my son is at that age where he's struggling, where he's failing, and he's he's looking to me as a father and, and what I'm going to do to, um, you know, am I going to... Uh, how, what's that discipline going to look like? What's acceptance going to look like? And as I stress about that, which I do, um, that to, to, um, to give that acceptance, that love, it doesn't take having some wise saying or, or you know, having all these quotes down. It, it really, in that moment, all it took was just listening and, and uh, accepting. And that was, that was huge for me. I want you to talk about your first Silas relationship too. What did what did that look like? So you get involved in this group, you spew your whole life all over the room, and mm. now you're getting now you're going to take the next step in a Samson group and and enter into a Silas relationship. What what was that like? Yeah, um, my uh, Silas relationship was was also with an older guy, which they were all <laughs> older guys at the time, but. Um, was with an older, <laughs> um, was with an older guy and Bill. He was just, uh, you know, he. I, I have a ton of uh, respect and, a, and brotherly affection for him because um, uh, he was a guy that that I saw, and, and I, I think part of my brokenness and and still that desire of wanting to have it together was was still shining through at this moment because I picked a guy to be my Silas who looked like he had it together. And of course I quickly found out that he did not, but, um, but maybe that's significant because in the past I had reached out to mentors and, and let them know about the struggle I had and, and hoping that they would fix me. Right. And this was back when I was in ministry, back when I was in college. Um, I, I think the same thing happened here, right? I, I, I would share with Bill and let him know, what my brokenness was was like, how frustrated I am was, how frustrated I was with that, and uh, again, he didn't have answers for me, but he did share a lot uh, about you know his his own common experiences and in, in, in the journey that he had. So, um, that that first silence relationship really looked a lot like um, I think me realizing that becoming a man wasn't again wasn't something of 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 figuring out how to have it all together and and figuring out how to to stop you know looking at porn or to um to fix myself it it was just uh just the consistency of of daily doing life together paul are you married yeah, no, I'm not married. Uh, just actually tomorrow, going to be celebrating a one-year dating anniversary with my lovely girlfriend Molly. So, okay, that of course brings with it all of the uh, joys and trials that that brings. So, 
Absolutely. Well, hello to Molly. Then this is good. This question will apply to both of you differently. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to enter into an understanding of how to have honesty in a relationship with other men in a consistent way uh, as a group and having a Silas. But then how do how have you guys brought that into your relationships? Ryan with your wife, Paul with your girlfriend Molly of one year, where number one, they haven't been on the same journey. So you might be at kind of a different place uh, with transparent articulation of deep and scary things. Um, and just the fact that th these aren't brothers in your life. These are partners in your life. So how do you bring all of this into your relationships? I'll let Ryan tackle that one first. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And this is, um, uh, you know, to guys. Uh, okay. So to guys who might be listening and to, I know to, to guys that I walk with regularly, this isn't, uh, a, a constant question and the common topic of, of, you know, what do we share? How much do we share? When do we share with our wives, with our girlfriends? And um, so here's, here's my experience and, and what this looks like. Um, when I started dating my wife, um, I had already been a part of Samson for a while. And um, uh, so I, very early on, let her know about Samson, what, you know, what Samson was all about, that it was a place where, where men walked together, where we uh, struggled together, where we walked through life together, um, thinking that I had given her all the information that she needed to know to uh, have absolutely uh, no problems, you know, with, with the fact that I was struggling with something in life. Um, and also kind of telling myself that I had given her enough information to fill in the blanks. Um, so uh, the, the hard truth is that it wasn't because there was, there continued to be, you know, failure on my part. That's just part of the struggle um, along the way. Um, and it affects, it affects and affected my wife um, because it was only a couple years in the marriage when, um, when, you know, something became evident uh, that I had acted out, and um, and you know she confronted me about it, and it was a it was a very difficult time with 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 um, you know with us having to deal with this brokenness together. Um, so you know I uh, there were certainly emotions within me of like you know being frustrated, like well I told you about this, you know I I uh, uh, I thought you knew that this was happening and that I was dealing with it with, with Samson guys and confessing and, um, and actively grappling with this. And, and, you know, of course there was hurt and brokenness and on her side. Um, and I think this is, and I'm just going to be transparent about what we did and what we had to do, but this was a time when, um, when Samson wasn't enough, you know, Samson is, um, it's mandatory for me. It's, it's necessary for me. Uh, I can't, live without the community that I have with these men. But in the context of my marriage, um, when this brokenness affected us directly, we had to go to counseling and we went to um, CCEF, which is a, a biblical counseling uh, organization in Philadelphia. We went and we, we found a biblical counselor. We took all of the information, you know, there and um, we laid out 
you know, I laid out what it is that Samson, what, what Samson meant to me, what I was doing there. Um, and of course, my wife had had the opportunity to lay out how, you know, how this affected her. And the counselor helped us navigate through that. You know, the counselor was very supportive of Christina and, and how she was feeling. The counselor was uh, very um, curious and interested in what Samson was and, and making sure that it was a, a healthy venue for me to confess and repent. And, um, and there was, there was a, a long process there of, of healing and of, um, of Christina and I being able to um, go through what Samson looked like in our marriage. So now it has an, um, a meaningful and active place in our marriage as well, where she's finally at a place where she doesn't feel like she has to um, worry about what's going on in my life. Like she, now she understands what it is um, that I'm struggling. She also understands what it is that Samson's about. And, uh, and she trusts that that process is good. And she trusts that process is happening. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a great, later. that's a great thought for a lot of people, Ryan, that they, that there are places where you as a couple can go to foster the same kind of transparency within a safe environment. And if you get the right mm-hmm. counselor, uh, I kind of think everybody should go to counseling, you know, every few yeah. years mm-hmm. for at least a couple of months. Uh, it's really, it makes me really sad when people get hit with that stigma that if I'm going to counseling, it must mean I'm crazy or I'm about to get divorced or things like that. When really what you just described is this was your way to bring the authentic walk to your wife and to yeah. get that walk started. So everybody, Amen. go to counseling this week <laughs> just for fun. Now, let's turn the turn it back to you, Paul. What would you say about that with your relationship with Molly? Yeah, so... Um like you said, kind of in the intro to that, that the question that you asked, it's, it looks very different for me than it does for Ryan. And kind of listening to Ryan's story, I like there's so many, there's so many tools that I have in my tool belt because Ryan has been so kind of open and walked with me and told me his story and just spoke very frankly about his struggles in his own life. And so I would say that a lot of a lot of the steps that Ryan took and a lot of the a lot of the necessary things that that Ryan went through I think are things that are still ahead for Molly and I and so um, I know that uh, I don't well I guess I don't I don't want to speak too much for Molly but I'll say for myself that um, that there this was an having had several relationships that have just been, extensions of a a sexual addiction going into this thinking to myself I this can't be that (laughs) this cannot be that and and she you know has had relationships with guys who have had that exact same history and so we're both going we're both coming into this dating relationship thinking this can't be part of it this can't be part of it but facing those very same temptations and uh, and we didn't we didn't talk about it for a really really long time, and like I said, uh, well I, I guess we haven't kind of gone through this yet, but I I've only just started my Samson group here in Chicago a couple months ago, um, and I've only I've not lived in Chicago much longer than a year, but the um, it was really great. We were sitting in a sermon 
together and the pastor was talking about something like this, something about pornography addiction. And I hadn't talked about it with her and she hadn't talked about it with me. And she just leaned over and said, you know, like if you, if this is part of your life, if this is a struggle for you, I just want you to know that like, I'm still in this and I, I still love you. And that just like, <laughs> it just, it was just so, like, wow. helped me let down so many walls and um and so kind of going on from there started some great conversations and that that started started a conversation for us uh, about things that we know that we want to work through in premarital counseling kind of thing and so for us kind of her vulnerability and stepping out for us has started to begin to plan an agenda for okay how can we integrate our stories here how can we integrate what god's doing in your life and the struggles that you've had with what God's doing in my life and the struggles that I have, because I think it's really hard for dating couples to deal with this issue. Because on the one hand, you want you you have an obligation, especially if you're going entering into marriage with a person, to be honest with them so that they know what they're getting into, and and just for the sake of intimacy. I mean, you're entering into a marriage covenant, and yet on the other hand, I think that with that vulnerability comes so many opportunities for us, even even at the subconscious level, to to enter into manipulative habits and cycles of control and fear um, that that may not that that we may not even be aware of that they're just so habitual to us, and so um, so. So yeah, Molly and yeah. I we're just yeah. we're we're trying to figure out what is kind of the best relationship between her her journey there and my journey here because in my in past relationships for me, I know that whatever the sexual aspect of a person's past was always played out in terms of because I because in past relationships openness came very easy, but resolving what came from that openness always came in the form of some kind of sexual sin. And so, so I think that the dating relationship just doesn't have the tools inherent in what dating is to really right. deal with a lot of the cycles that can come from uh, the the hurtful content that that we can often hear from the other person when they're open with us. Yeah, you you brought up something that is is similar to Ryan, um, which which is we're kind of setting a course for what we want for pre marriage counseling which mm. is exactly right. And it goes back to, we need a forum with somebody that knows more about this to help walk us through it. But I will say to Paul right now, what I say to everybody, pre-marriage counseling is wasted on people who are engaged. Pre-marriage yeah. counseling mm. should happen <laughs> right. before anyone's engaged. Once you're engaged, yeah. you're not thinking about whether or not you ought to be marrying this person. And a good pre-marriage mm. counselor is always trying to break you up in one way or another. And if he can't, well, then you should get married. So I totally agree with you. And I, I love that you're making a plan for, for what you guys need as a couple in that. Just make sure to do it before you get engaged. Be, be a yeah, model of really, wisdom, please. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's great advice, honestly. That's, that's really, really great advice, that pre, pre-marital counseling. And, uh, yeah, I think if if there's any if there's any guys listening out there who are like me at all, I think I just I really want to be careful about saying that I'm further than I am in my maturity level or in my, 
you know, I, I would love to have some kind of testimony. I was, I was just, I just had dinner with a married couple last night who yeah. told me these great habits they have. That every every morning they go out the door, they say, uh, "Guard your eyes, guard your heart to each other." And the the girl, the mm-hmm. wife said, "I even have a song that I sing." And I thought, "Wow, wow that's awesome!" And I wanted that. And I, but I just, I don't. I don't want guys to have the the picture of me that I uh, that I that I do anything like that or that I'm there because because I, I'm not. So I just want to I want to jump in real quick because you know, Paul Paul's being honest and, and and true and I and I always appreciate the about, about him. But I want to say that um, that just because and Paul knows that I think this about him. But I'm saying this to other guys are listening. On the other hand, if you are single, that doesn't mean that you're not mature. And and uh, I learn, I, in my eyes, Paul is one of the most mature and um, and admirable brothers that I have because he is grappling with this stuff in such a real way as a single guy. And um, any time that we hang out, I feel like I'm learning a ton from him. Um, so, I'm. I mean, I, I admire what. Uh, I admire Paul. I I admire his honesty and openness because he's he's leagues ahead of where I was as a single guy. And um, so yeah, I just want to make that distinction that that because he's single, you know, to, to single guys who feel like that because they're single, that for some reason that they're also immature. It, that's not a thing. Like that, it's not a one to one. That's a great point, Ryan. And I think, honestly, I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's a Christian culture thing or maybe it's just a broader kind of Western, well, maybe even global cultural thing. But, yeah, I think I, even even in speaking about that right now, I probably did kind of slip into that a little bit thinking, well, well, when I'm married, obviously I'll be a little bit more mature. And that's definitely not necessarily true. I heard somebody say the other day, single, the single you will be the married you. And uh, the married guys that I know are just verify that they're like, "Yep." Except it, the 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 married will be the or the single is the the married version. Except you'll have mm. more evidence that you're mm. selfish. That's the only difference. <laughs> yeah, Once you get point. married, you'll and and then when you feel feel you have all the evidence, then you have children and find out you didn't even scratch wow. the surface of your selfishness. <laughs> That's Looking just my addition to, to that. Uh, <laughs> Guys, we are reaching the we, <laughs> we are reaching the end of our interview time, but I have loved uh, getting to chat with you guys. I feel like I mm. want to have a meeting after the meeting right now in Chicago. That's where <laughs> I want to be right now. Uh, and the four of us oh, grabbing a hot dog and a beer. Uh, but mm, I know, I know right? it's not happening though. But thank you guys so much for taking taking the time on a Wednesday afternoon to hang out with us and all of the other pirate monks uh, around the world mm. that are going to be listening to this. Well, thanks so, so much for having us. Thank it's you a real both. pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having us on. Mark is going to be putting in the show notes uh, ways to get in touch, read articles, and uh, get to know these guys a little bit better. And if you are in Great. Fishers, Indiana, or the Chicagoland area, we'll have information about how you might be able to... Uh, uh, attend a Samson group uh, nearby and meet these guys as well. And we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, you know it's not the first time And it will not be the When you find me here on my knees 
Pirate Monk Podcast. Aaron, they got on rolls, and there's so many questions I wanted to ask them. Like, uh, since both of them have started several different Samson groups, I'd love to hear. Uh, maybe in the future we can have them back and talk about some of the pitfalls of of starting groups and and how uh, we can encourage each other to to stay the course uh, to get a group uh, on its feet. Uh, but both these guys very very well spoken, and we'll have links uh, to them uh, and their information. Uh, on the the show notes at piratemonkpodcast.com. And that's that is a great point because we obviously started the show saying these were normal guys and so evidently and I always assume Mark that Nate went around the country starting every Samson group but evidently <laughs> Samson societies are started by wait for it normal guys. <sighs> So we would love to hear more from you. You can mail uh, email us at, what is that email address, Mark? It's piratemonkradio at gmail.com. Or write to us, connect with us on Facebook, right on the wall. We can have some real-time conversations going on. I'm always looking for a reason to not be doing the work I ought to be doing. So please <laughs> post on Facebook, and somehow I'll get a notification, and I'll stop what I'm doing and engage those conversations because it just sounds more fun. That's all the time we have uh, today. So I'm Aaron. I'm Mark. And and we are your friends. Is that what I'm supposed to say there? Yeah, you're supposed to say that like just like Nate. Junior, baby. Preaching recovery.